So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com. Oh, my dearest Megan, I love you so much. (laughs) The most beautiful woman I've ever met in my entire life. Oh my God. What's going on, everybody? I'm Chris. I'm an alcoholic. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. And the moment has officially arrived. It has. We have Nick from Team Foster here with us tonight. Say hello, Nick. Hey, everybody. How are you? We have Megan's boobs on the wall. Oh my God. I, I even asked last night, I'm like, should we take this down for guests? Nope. <laughs> we do not change anything. So a little bit of backstory. Uh, Megan's family puts on a golf tournament every year in the greater Philadelphia area. It's called the McMaster's Golf Tournament, which I got robbed of winning a couple years ago, but I'm not bitter about it. It is what it is. It came close. Anywho, uh, and we had obviously met Nick, what was it, 2019? Because we did not golf yep. in 2020. Yeah. And just, I, I love the way he is as, if not more passionate about his organization and how they help veterans, I think, as you and I are about AA, you know, helping people recover, things of that nature. Right around the time we'd started the podcast, we were like, we have to have him in here. Like, this is a great fit because, again, a lot of the feedback that we've gotten from folks, you know, half of it is connected to a veteran somehow some way whether that's a spouse of a veteran uh the veteran themselves are struggling with drugs or alcohol as a way to uh, i guess cope would that be the right word yeah absolutely and i just think it's a good way to bring awareness to a great organization so let's just get right into it nick why don't you just tell us about yourself (laughs) (laughs) um always a dangerous question um but yeah hey my my name's nick learman i am the founder of team foster it's a 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, we were founded in the memory of uh, and in honor of a very good friend of mine, Captain Eric Foster. Eric was killed on his second tour in Iraq in 2007, and he's the inspiration for our organization. Our mission is no hero left behind. Um, what does that mean? Um, it sounds great. What it means is that we raise money to provide service dogs for injured and disabled veterans, with a, specifically with a focus on veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injuries, all the things that come along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a huge need in our, uh, in our space. Um, as I mentioned, post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injuries are the signature wounds of post-9-11 warfare. So we are looking at the lowest estimates, put the number of veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury or both over a quarter million. So we have a quarter million men and women that are coming back with some level of post-traumatic stress or brain injury. And what we also know is that the VA's way of dealing with that is to hand you a bottle of bills. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, there are certainly people that works for, but statistically, the efficacy of the prescription program from the VA is 60% or less. So that means 40 wow. per, 40% of those folks, almost half, are walking around not in the same shape they were when we put them in harm's way. So they raise their hand, they put on a uniform. We sent them to some far-flung country to do something that most of us don't want to do. Mm-hmm. They're now dealing with the consequences, and then they come back, and 40% of them at least— 40% of the population suffers from PTS or uh, TBI, can't get back to where they belong. Um, and we know that service dogs are a really great way or an, a very powerful, effective tool to help those folks rehabilitate. So that's what we do. We make sure that those veterans can get those service dogs 
at no cost. That's amazing. And talk about, I don't know, just is such a profound impact because again, I think, and we're not here to shit on the VA or any, you know, the government services, anything like that. But the fact that you have a tool outside of either a narcotic or some sort of other. You're looking at even more controlled substances. Is that what you're trying to say? Like your benzos and things like that? Yeah. So how do we like keep people from walking around looking like zombies or again, they're, they're dealing with PTSD and TBI, which is traumatic brain injury. And then we add on top of that many layers of narcotics and benzodiazepines and like what what help is that doing versus what a service dog can do for them? You know, like I just I think that's an amazing tool to have in the arsenal. Yeah, it absolutely is. I mean, I, I, we've all seen it, right? We've seen folks that have mental health challenges or the people we know we love. Yes, there are people that prescription narcotics help for sure in the short term. But there's a lot more that, yeah, they, they may alleviate some of the symptoms and may sort of tamp things down, but they're not the person that they were. Right. You know, they're not, they haven't gotten their life back, at least not in the sense that I would describe someone's life. And on the flip side of that, you know, it's a complicated problem, you know? So yeah, we're not here to, to shit all over the VA. It's a massive problem. It's a complicated problem. It's not super well understood, right? We mm -hmm. know that post-traumatic stress manifests itself in any number of ways for every single person. It's incredibly unique. It's incredibly idiosyncratic. So Chris and I, or Megan and I can go downrange and experience the exact same thing. Megan will have no symptoms, no diagnosis, no problems. And I will experience the exact same events that Megan did. And I will have post-traumatic stress and I will have panic attacks every night of my life. Chris can be in that exact same situation, also have post-traumatic stress, except his post-traumatic stress manifests itself or a symptom, uh, it becomes symptomatic because he has substance abuse or becomes depressed or agoraphobic or mm -hmm. develops some sort of trigger that revolves around something that directly or indirectly related to the, the actuating event. It's incredibly complicated. The brain is not well understood. But that's the beauty and that's the perfection of these dogs is because they are just as complex and can be just as trained and just as uniquely and develop the idiosyncratic skills needed for you or for you or for me. The examples I like to talk about, you know, the most classic symptoms of uh, veterans suffering from PTSD are panic attacks. You know, maybe it's nightmares, maybe it's during the day. It is, I'm going to use the word easy. It is straightforward to train a service dog. How to detect that panic attack is going to happen before it happens and then to cue their partner that it's going to happen, allowing the partner to, one, acknowledge that it's happening externally when they may not realize it, physically remove themselves from that situation or take the steps they need to to make sure that that panic attack is no more disruptive than absolutely necessary in their life or is not as severe as it may have been if they didn't know it was coming. Or if they are having uh, nightmares, the dog will literally wake up, wake up the veteran, wake up mm -hmm. their partner, disrupt that nightmare and allow that person to get up, take a breath, take a minute, then go back and have like a reasonable night's sleep. That's And that's the simplest version. There's dogs, uh, we have dealt with veterans. Uh, one veteran that we know, he had spent a significant amount of time downrange clearing houses, meaning he was going door to door, literally kicking doors in, doing things in some of the most high risk, high op tempo, challenging situations. He developed that trigger so that when he would come home, he was uncomfortable coming home into his own apartment at night because it felt, it triggered that, those similarities triggered those panic, that triggered that anxiety. It's very easy to train that dog, literally go into the house, and the dog will clear the house for him. So it opens the door, mm. dog then goes room to room to room, comes back out and says, you're good. We can enter. Right. What? So 
It's wow. insane. And that's that, Chris, Megan, that's the tip of the iceberg. That um, literally gives me chills. Last week, I met with uh, a veteran that we've worked, uh, done some work with who um, is diabetic. His dog, dogs, their sense of smell is mm-hmm. so acute, is so intense. His dog can detect his blood insulin levels for him. This is insane. Dog can be used to detect cancer. Um, in this particular case, the same veteran, his, so his dog is trained to detect and recognize if his blood insulin levels get out of whack, triggering his vet before he starts having physical symptoms. You know, I need to check my blood sugar. Maybe I need to eat. Maybe I need to take some medicine, whatever the case may be. Same dog is not trained to detect internal bleeding, but that's exactly what he did. He feels fine. His dog starts acting up, starts acting unusually, starts doing the cues, starts. And then a little while later, he starts not feeling that great. He says to his wife, okay, wait, dog's doing this. I'm not feeling that hot, but I, you know, no, otherwise might've written it off. Heads down to urgent care. It turns out he has internal, internal bleeding. So his dog actually cued him in and allowed a situation that could otherwise been catastrophic to head it off right at the pass. I think medically, I've heard a lot of stories about someone's dog, you, and that's not even a trained dog saving their life, like the, their intuition, their sense of smell, their their unique set of abilities, you know? So it's almost like we've always had this tool, but we didn't focus it in where it could be best utilized. Which is, again, like, I don't even think that I can properly explain on this amazing microphone that I have, uh. like how blown away <laughs> I am at what a service dog can do. So like, I'm just gonna, and Megan, I'm sure is just gonna roll along with this one right here. I'm gonna play super ignorant. Ooh. And yep. I'm just gonna say that I had no idea because I think unfortunately a lot of people, their perspective, this is just from one average citizen. Like you see a, a service animal on a plane and you're like, why do you have a guinea pig as a service animal? <laughs> like you're giving all of the service animals a, a horrible name. And the fact that these dogs are literally saving lives and we just touched on what, uh, maybe a half dozen different things that that dog is trained to do. It's just like, I can't even put it into words. I'm totally blown away right now. No, I am too, because we can't even get ours to shit outside yet. <laughs> 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 we have a toddler and a puppy. Do not recommend. But anyway, I um, I worked in drug and alcohol for a little bit after I got sober. as kind of my give back job, you know, part time on the side. And we didn't get a ton of veterans because VA has its own drug and alcohol. But once in a while, we would, um, you know, some overflow, things like that. And I had a patient, I've actually talked about this on the show before, because he left such a profound place in my life. He was really in a bad place. I mean, it was it was very bad. And um, I think he actually wasn't at the VA because he wasn't invited back at this point. He was up all night. He couldn't sleep, never slept, never slept. And he so he used to come in the nurse's station, talk to me all night. And he told me that he had a service dog. Beyond all these things, because he didn't get into that, he actually said to me the only reason he was still alive was because of that dog. Because he had to get up in the morning and feed it. I kind of thought that's what they did. You know what I mean? And that sounds terrible, like in my own naive whatever. But I mean, I thought that was good enough. I, you know? That's not naive. That That is yeah. what they do. That that Except that's just, that's the a baseline. portion. That's the yes. fundamental level. Because we all, we all know, anybody who's a pet lover, anybody who's a dog owner recognizes the unconditional love of a dog. Every time you walk in the door, whether you're gone for 10 minutes, unless your dog's a total asshole. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Which we have one. <laughs> no, she loves too much. She loves way too much. But yeah, you're gone for 10 minutes yes. or 10 days and your dog just raves. You can't, could not be more excited. Yes. You, you could beat your dog over the head and it'll still love you and lick your face and, and 
love you unconditionally. And it gives you that sense of purpose because you have to walk that dog. You have to pick up after your dog. You have to feed that dog. And that is that is a valuable piece yes. of what these dogs are doing for the veterans mm-hmm. because they are giving them that sense of purpose. They're giving them that companionship. They're giving them that sense of team, that sense that somebody is looking out for them no matter what. Yeah. Yes, all those things are true. None of that sure. none of that is misguided, but that just that just scratches the surface. That's that's step one for any service dog. And do you think that dogs then when you're talking about that and talking about that sense of team and that sense of responsibility, do you think veterans then in that sense are in a unique position to be helped even more by dogs because that's how they lived their lives that sense of team with a group with responsibility you know does that make sense at all yeah Yeah. and and we talked about this a little bit before we came on but i I think that's one of the big obstacles for every veteran whether they're suffering from pts or had pts or whether they deployed or not or whether they have a brain injury or not whether they had a positive experience or not in, in the military when you take that uniform off and you walk away from it what you believe to be the last time or for a long time it's hard feels like a part of you is behind like your family is all still going in this machine that you were such you may only have been a small cog but you were very much a cog in a large moving industrial machine with a distinct sense of purpose and you leave that and then you see that machine keep going without you as if you were never there Mm -hmm. that's incredibly challenging you know and it's I, you know, I, we were talking about this before. I, I, I came off active duty in 04, and then I was uh, got back in the reserves. I came back in, and I just came home from nine months of active duty time. And it's hard. It's and I'd forgotten what that was like. The camaraderie, the the familial relationship, the sense of purpose, the teamwork that you have when you put on a uniform and you are dressed like the men and the women next to you. All, at least in theory, eyes focus the same way, working towards the same goal, trying to do the same thing. Um, and it's hard to find that outside. Outside yeah. of the military. Right. And, and a dog gives you that. Sorry, serving all the way back now no. to 10 minutes later. Um, <laughs> no, it <laughs> makes complete sense. A dog, that is, that is, that's your teammate. That's, that's your, that's your battle buddy. Uh, that's your wingman. That's your, what are the, what are the Navy, Navy calls it their, their swim buddies or something ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, I was Navy. Just <laughs> um, but that, Something though, in pretty uniforms. No, I, I do. I think that um, something that I think is similar in many mental health uh, issues, including addiction, is isolation. A big part of that disease is isolation. And I'm sure, or I would assume, that someone suffering from, you know, PTSD, they would like to isolate, and it's probably also the worst thing for them. This is where the the machismo of the of the yeah. that lingers in the military does it does our some of our our brothers and sisters a disservice. What I do now is not tough, right? I'm not I'm not kicking down doors, but you you still want to buy into this. Oh yeah, I got this. I put a mission in front of me. I'm mm-hmm. going to go out. I'm going to execute. I'm going to take care of business. And then when you have those internal challenges, when those challenges that aren't as socially acceptable, it's very natural to be just sort of turn inward and be like, no, I got this. I'm going to take care of it. Mm-hmm. And when you're dealing with something like post-traumatic stress, when you're dealing with a brain injury, quite frankly, you're dealing with depression or anxiety. Trying to handle that on your own is exactly the wrong answer. Yes. And that's a great way for that to snowball into something a lot worse and a lot more and a lot more challenging. In terms of, I, I guess, like the the paradigm shift in the military, like you have a, a much more intimate knowledge of this. Part of the AA program, if you will, is like when you're in a bad place, you got to put your hand up. You have to ask for help. How much or what plays into that mind shift from the military, the leadership, all the way down to you know, a squad of soldiers, the individual soldier, that it's actually okay to put your hand up 
Like you have seen some shit in your, you know, time in the military. You need to deal with it in a healthy manner. I think the first thing is is do my due diligence, which is to say anything opinions I have today are, are mine and not I'm not speaking on behalf of the army, I'm not Absolutely. speaking on behalf of the DOD or any, you know, anyone else. It's just Nick Learman telling you what I think. And I do think I think the army, you know, I've been in and around the army since for 21 years. The paradigm has certainly shifted or for the better. Mm-hmm. Uh, PTSD is, is much more openly acknowledged. There are procedures and processes that are now mandatorily in place to facilitate soldiers to get treatment. The paradigm has shifted, but it's a long trip. Right. You know, at the end of the day, you are asking men and women to be hard. You're asking them to be resilient. You're asking them to do things that normal folks don't, don't want to do. And it sort of goes back to that, you know, we were talking about sort of having that mindset where you're like, yeah, I'm, I'm tough. I'm hard. I can do this. Just get, tell me what you want done. I'm going to take care of it. Um, it's still it's still challenging for folks to do that. And I, I at least for me personally, and I, I've seen this and I, I try to live this, I think it is as much more powerful or as powerful just simply when you meet a soldier who you think might be struggling or it may not be is just being more open about your own struggles, your own challenges. Um, so if you're you're a little anxious about something that's going on or you're having trouble um, back home, you know, having family problems or having you think you might be sad or depressed or anxious talking about those things doing that allows the folks that you surround yourself with to also be open hopefully seek the treatment that they need when they need it um so that's a very long answer to a short question maybe but um i think the the military is doing a better job you know there's so for instance it's now required any soldier that's getting separated there has to be an inquiry into whether or not they're the victim of a sexual assault or whether they've ever mm-hmm. suffered a post, uh, post-traumatic stress or believe they suffered post-traumatic stress or a brain injury. That mm-hmm. didn't used to be the case. So now, now it's compulsory that a commander has to go in and delve into that. And if they are, then there's a whole separate process. So, so even if you're being administratively separated for some sort of mis, uh, misconduct, there's still mandatory we were going to look into other traumatic events that may feed into that misconduct or may be related to that misconduct. Um, or may ultimately end, result in you needing treatment down the road, um, post-service. And that's done mm-hmm. at, like, the separation from the military. I guess, you know, my mind, you know, playing devil's advocate or, like, looking for areas of growth would be, you know, is there screening throughout? You know, is that is there an every three-month check-in? You know, something like that. Like, you wonder, you know, we think about it with drugs and alcohol, mental illness. How do you stop it before it gets there? There are services, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I mean, even on the reserve side, once a year, I have to take, I have to get a mandatory okay. medical and mental health screen. There's, there's similar processes, and of course, there's always, almost always, pretty robust services, both That's for good. mental health treatment and medical treatment. Now, having it available and and ensuring that our soldiers and sailors utilize and take advantage of it are two different, very different questions. But at least in that respect, the services are there, the providers are there. It's just a matter of getting that cultural shift, getting us over the hump. And we're seeing the, we're seeing the challenges and the, the robust discourse on mental health as we speak, right? Like we, it's on the world stage as yeah. we're watching Olympians openly discussing, um, you know, some of the most resilient, most uh, competitive people operating at the highest possible levels, openly talking about anxiety. And I'm not suggesting that our soldiers are all Olympians. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not <laughs> suggesting that there's millions of people watching what they do. But it's at least having that discussion that revolves around mental health and all vo- all versions of it 
um, mm-hmm. is also happening, you know, for the folks in uniform, you know, and so that hopefully That's that will good. continue to, to uh, evolve. So a, a soldier separates from service and they're struggling, you know, mental health, PTS, uh, TBI, things like that. Paint the picture for me, if you will, of how one gets in touch with a service provider like yourself. Like, connect those dots for me. How do we go from, you know, a struggling soldier to finished product, if you will? I can speak to what they would do, you know, if they came across Team Foster. So the the most frequent thing we'll see is somebody comes across our website, and it's very easy. We try to make it as easy as possible. Um, if you could stop coughing while I talk. <laughs> My bad. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Actually, now that you mention that, what is the website? Uh, it's Team, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so uh, you just go to teamfoster.org. It's, and it's exact T-E-A-M-F-O-S-T-E-R.org. Um, and there we've got a, a, a couple different, uh, obviously it talks about what we do. It talks about our mission is share some of the stories of the veterans that we've worked with. Um, and what we would do, at the, our, the way we are set up is that we partner with service dog training organizations uh, in our region and beyond. And if someone comes to me and says, you know, hey, Team Foster, we need a dog or I need a dog, what do I do? Then we engage them. We have a conversation. Okay, like what are, you know, what sort of challenges? Is a service dog even appropriate? And we're not the, we don't consider ourselves the, the experts or the, we're not medical providers. But we can do sort of an, a little bit of a screen. Is like, is this a service dog situation? Is this someone who just needs a companion animal? Is it an emotional support dog that they're looking for? Or is it something mm-hmm. else? And then let's talk about where you need to go. Where do you live geographically? What, you know, do you have a dog you're looking to train? Or are you looking to get a dog? Um, how acute is that need? Is that something where maybe we need to put you on a plane and fly you to someplace in order to get you get it to you quicker? Um, or is it something where, you know, a lot of the organizations we work with have uh, waiting lists at a pretty, you know, year to two years between sure. application and, and actually receiving the dog. So that's sort of how that would work. And then in the meantime, Team Foster also, we run a grants program. So we provide financial resources for veterans of all shades, all stripes, you know, especially those suffering if they have um, medical needs or housing needs, um, we're there to, to sort of fill that gap until they can get to that dog. And then beyond, we continue to partner with them. Then once we get, let's say they, now we've hooked them up with a training organization, now they've got their dog, they get partnered with their dog, though usually what they'll have is two, maybe three weeks of intensive partner training. So the human partner and the canine partner will train together mm. where they'll really hone in on exactly what it is the tasks are that that dog needs to be trained for. And then that, you know, they go forth, right, and try to go forth and do great things. The accredited organizations and at least the organizations that we work with, you know, will then check in on the veteran routinely. So early on, it's frequent, right? So you're talking about every couple of weeks at first, and then it goes, sort of shakes out to a month, once a month, and then it shakes out to every couple of months. Um, and then they'll come back at least once a year for uh, reaccreditation, retraining, make sure everybody's doing, you know, dog's doing okay, human partner's doing okay. And then Team Foster tries to stay there. You know, rehabilitation, especially from post-traumatic stress and brain injuries, is not its not a straight line. Yeah. Right? It's mm-hmm. not. A, it very few people get a dog, and then immediately their life takes a hard left, and everything's perfect. That so would be great. It would be great, right? Um, I wish it was that simple. Mm-hmm. Right. But Team Foster, we continue to be there and be a resource. So whether it's pointing someone in the right direction, you know, making sure that they get the resources that are out there, or whether it's, you know, writing a check, you know, whatever the case may be. We've had veterans that come through, you know, whether it's maybe it's related to their dog. So one of our veterans, uh, their dog ended up being uh, diagnosed with epilepsy. Mm. So as you might guess, especially uh, a lot of our veterans that come through are, are paycheck to paycheck, right? They're, they're trying to survive yeah. on their VA disability checks. You know, they've got PTS or they've got traumatic brain injury. 
And now they've got this canine partner who they rely on. And everybody knows how traumatic it is to, to have a pet that's having medical issues. You've got this whole like screwed up thing where you're like, oh my God, I love this animal to death. It's suffering. Oh my God, how much friggin' money is right. this going to cost yeah, me? Sure. Like, holy shit. Like that is potentially devastating, right? So this case, his dog started having seizures. You know, next thing you know, I'm getting a call. Nick, I'm at the vet. I don't know what I'm going to do. I can't afford this. And it was so, if, such a fantastic feeling. Be like, it's fine. We give him Team Foster's information, and we just pick up the tab. And he wait, no wait, longer wait, has to wait, worry wait. about that. Wait, 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 wait. So not only do you help connect these people with the dogs, but you go so far as to make sure that that dog is healthy and taking care of the the veteran and the veterans taking care of the dog. Like, correct me if I'm wrong, but this has to be extremely expensive. Like, how do you swing that? How do you make that work? So, yeah, so the the first part, yes, it, training a service dog is in extremely resource intensive. It takes about two years to, to properly train a service dog, and that costs generally in the ballpark of $25,000 per dog. Wait, wait, wait I'm going to... I'm going to be super rude and interrupt you. Did you just say $25,000? I did, yeah. $25,000 per dog. Holy shit. Only if you, you know, listen. In you, two years. It's a time investment, too. Yeah. There, are, there are organizations that will tell you they can do it for less. I, I, 100%. But you get what you pay for. And the organizations that we work with are all accredited by Assistance, dog, assistance Dogs International, meaning they are operating at the highest level and at the highest standards, making sure that someone's not coming to a soldier. The worst thing you could do is some, a soldier comes to you with post-traumatic stress, says, hey, I need a service dog. And you go, yeah, we got you. And then the, you hand them a dog that operates at 60% yeah. of what it doesn't do and actually ends up creating more problems, creating yeah. more anxiety, creating more, you know, just piling on. Um, so, yeah, so it's a lot of money, right? $25,000 is a lot of money. Now, Jesus. compare that to like, hey, you hand that person a bottle of opiates and then you continue to handle that bottom and then, you know, three stints at rehab later. You, yeah. It's not really it's not real hard to do the math and realize that these service dogs are actually a lot more cost effective than the alternative. But, yeah, so we that's that's sort of the, the initial investment. We make sure that any of the veterans that we work with don't pay out of pocket for their dogs so that we cover all the costs there. And then any veterans that are in need going forward, we continue to work with them and provide those services. So like the dog I mentioned earlier that had epilepsy, it was thousands of dollars. It was almost 20 veterinarian visits before oh, by the time it was diagnosed, properly diagnosed. You can imagine, I mean, uh, Megan, you're yeah. in the medical field. Properly diagnosing epilepsy in a human is challenging. Doing it in a dog is a whole nother level. And then trying to figure out exactly, dial in the meds. And the and meds are expensive. Also expensive. Like, you know, a, a lot of people don't have prescription coverage for their pets. You know what I mean? It's it's yeah, no. hundreds of dollars a month just and for it, their scripts. Again, when you're talking about a veteran who is on a fixed income, that may be the choice of, oh my God, am I feeding myself? Am I getting medicine for the dogs? Mm -hmm. Like that is an impossible option or that should never even be an option. Right. And you know, the like, level of anxiety that comes with that. Yeah. Right? I, I know how much stress, um, I lost a dog last year and like how much stress it was like, oh my God, we were spending all this money. He's got all these health issues. I have a steady paycheck. Like I, I do just fine. Sure. And mm -hmm. it, it's still, it's so stressful, so anxiety provoking. And now you take someone who's already got an underlying PTSD diagnosis or anxiety diagnosis or depression diagnosis or all of the above. It's untenable. Absolutely. You're just, again, you're piling on layers and layers and layers. Let me back up just a little bit. And if I 
already asked this, just like throw something at me or something like that. But of, of all the services in the world, how did you get into or connect with service dogs originally? Like what, how did that idea come to fruition? Uh, so I'll give you the long story. Um, yeah, so, we got time. Yeah. So Team Foster um, was never intended at the outset to be some big organization or doing massive amounts of fundraising. Um, and the first year we raised, I think, uh, just over uh, $10,000 and felt really good about ourselves. You know, it was me and a couple other folks and we're like, wow, we raised five figures. This is amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we, and it was, it was amazing. Um, you know, all volunteers, we didn't know what, what we were doing. And we found a, a, a national veteran-based nonprofit um, who did good work in the uh, traumatic brain injury field, in the post-traumatic stress field, and wrote them a check. And we're like, yeah, that's awesome. And then two days later was Giving Tuesday, which I had never heard of at this point. And they raised $130,000 in like one day, <laughs> um, which good for them. Uh, it, uh, this is not disparaging their organization, sure. um, but it made us and it certainly made me feel very small. But in that process, um, you know, both when I served, when I got out, um, when I got back in, I certainly had plenty of folks that I either served with or friends of mine who had dealt with post-traumatic stress, who had dealt with the brain injuries, um, minor to major. And I knew, so I knew it was a problem, you know, anecdotally. And then as, you know, you start to get more into the field, sort of from a different perspective, from an organizational perspective, you realize what the, all the challenge, how deep the challenges are. So you sort of combine that with like, wait, okay, so we've got this massive, like we've got these signature wounds that aren't really being handled great. Yes, there's ways to deal with it over there, but then I don't, I don't ever see where that money goes and they don't really, it seems like they don't really need my little contributions. Q service dogs. Um, and this is five, six years ago before they've got service dogs have gotten so much more visibility, so much more hype in the last five years, which is a, by and large a good thing, though it does come with its own challenges. Um, and I looked at it, I was like, wait, this is an opportunity to raise money and see firsthand on the spot right there. What are you doing? What's the impact you're having? And it felt so fucking good. Like you see that and you're like, oh my God, I helped make that happen. We helped that dog help that person we saved that person's life collect help save that person's life we certainly didn't do it on our on our own and that you can't get enough of that no by the way like who doesn't like dogs right Right. who doesn't doesn't like being around puppies um so yeah so that's that's how we got into the space and um and over the years, our, our role in that space has, has continued to evolve, where at first it was just, okay, hey, like, I just want to, we just want to get as many dogs of veterans as we can. Check, check, check. Let's push, push, push. But as we've seen it get more play, as we've seen the dogs get more attention, we are now seeing an industry that is effectively the wild, wild west. And yeah. at least in my vision, at least in my mind, from my personal perspective, is on the precipice and has a decision to make. Team Foster has an opportunity to effectuate change internally, meaning service dogs are protected by the Americans with Disabilities Act, meaning in short, in very short terms says, if you have a service dog, you can take your dog almost anywhere that a person can go. And -hmm. you don't need to wait for a sign that says service dogs accepted. Your service dog can go where you go. 
by and large, there's a few exceptions, you know, like an operating room being one of them. Which, <laughs> which, I know that's shocking. I mean, it's, you know, it's an acceptable place, yeah. right? That great privilege, that right, which is well-deserved, there is largely unbalanced, meaning there is no accreditation requirement to become a service dog. There's no federal standard. Um, the only standard to be considered a service dog by the Americans with Disabilities Act is for the dog to perform a task that helps someone with a disability. It's extremely loose and is yeah. open for abuse. And it has been abused. We've seen it being abused. You see the news articles. Um, so you see the trainers, some of whom are well-intended and get in, just get in over their head and don't know how to actually, don't have, have never been trained to be a dog trainer and certainly not how to train a dog to become a service dog or folks that are just straight up stealing money, you know, and yeah. say, hey, I'm going to train your dog. I'm, give me $10,000. I'm going to give you a service dog in six weeks and poof, they're gone. Or they hand you, they rescue somebody, some animal from the pound and hand it to you. Mm. Now, so now you've got veterans paying thousands of dollars to get an they animal have, that just yep. uh, just completely undermines everything. We at Team Foster, what we are, uh, our goal and what we do is we try to partner with service dog organizations that are accredited by Assistance Dog International. So it's an, a, a completely voluntarily accrediting, but it is the gold standard for service dog training. So what the goal is, right, we have these fundraisers, we do well, people show up, they want to give us money, we take that money and we say, listen, organization, we will help you with all, we want to help all the veterans that come through, but if we do, you need to be Assistance Dog International accredited. And if you're not accredited, then the money dries up. It allows us to regulate the industry from the inside because the alternative is we are going to continue to see these horror stories. We're going to continue to see the service dogs that bite somebody on the plane. We're going to see the, the service dogs that are barking in a store and acting like assholes because they were never trained to be service mm -hmm. dogs. They're just doing what normal dogs do. And that ultimately undermines the entire industry, it undermines the value and the efficacy of service dogs at large. You shouldn't have to look at a dog with a veteran and go, hmm. Yeah, something's did, not right. Did that? Did they just buy that vest on Amazon? Yes. <laughs> or did it, yes. Or is that is that dog really working? Yes. So you're really so, making systematic change. Because if we don't, awesome. right, if the industry doesn't, if we as like veteran service providers, as service dog providers, do not step in and change, regulate ourselves, then the federal government is going to do it for us. Mm -hmm. And well-intended or not, the federal government does not operate well in nuance. We know that. We know that whatever rule that comes down is not going to be the best thing for every single veteran that comes through. Mm -hmm. But if we do that internally from the inside out, we can make everybody happy and we don't need Uncle Sam coming in and telling us what's best. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. So, yeah. So that's sort of that's sort of the, the bigger picture of where we think the organization is going and the, the sort of the. Uh, the value we want to bring to the, you know, to service dogs, to our veterans in that space and making sure that every dog that comes through is a top notch, accredited value add, real life service dog, not somebody's pet, not a good canine citizen, not an emotional support animal, a real bona fide working service dog. That's awesome. That actually probably makes us feel really good because Chris and I are like sometimes assholes as far as um, sometimes. Well, you're always, but me only okay, sometimes. Okay, thank you. But I, we're, um, I don't know how to say this in the right way. We are not believers that everyone gets a trophy. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Of course. So, <laughs> so I actually love that. Like that, I mean, it gives them like legitimacy, you know? And I think yeah. that's important. I mean, I think that's important in my career. 
I'm happy for the service dogs that they're getting legitimacy because there's ones out there that are really working and people that are really training them. You know, and that it's not a dime a dozen. And I think that's really important, actually. And it changes the dynamic. Yeah. Right? Because what, if, if I were a business owner right now, right, and, and some dog walks into my shop, I can tell you, based on my personal experience, I'm going to be skeptical. Of course. Just based sure. on the number of dogs you see walking around the exactly. vest that are clearly not earned or deserved. But that, right now, the way the law is written, that business owner, the only thing you can ask is that a service dog? You can't ask why it's a service dog. You can't ask what it does. You can't ask for ID. You can't ask what that person's disability is. You cannot ask anything other than, is that a service dog? Does it provide a service for you? Does it provide a perform a task for you? That's it. If That's you ask crazy. an additional yes. question, you're now violating federal law. So wow. now, so now our business, and so now you have, you know, rampant amount, amounts of yeah. deliberate and sometimes, you know, and some folks just don't know. Of course, they, they of don't, course. They don't understand. It, taking advantage and manipulating the system and, un, again, undermining, you know, so every time somebody's untrained dog barks while I'm shopping for my new jeans at that fancy express place, you automatically now, even I, I I'm in the industry and I'm skeptical. Mm-hmm. Um, so Joe Schmo off the street, of course, you're going to be, you're going to look at it side eyed instead of believing that, you know, having that credibility yeah. and believing, you know, understanding, no, that's actually a service dog so i know oh by the way and because i know it's working i'm going to treat it as such i'm going to treat it like it's not there i'm going to treat yeah. it like it's somebody sitting in a wheelchair and i'm not going to stare and i'm not going to talk directly to the wheelchair just like i'm not going to talk directly to a dog if i engage with those people i'm going to engage with the human person not the four-legged animal on the floor um hmm. so it's yeah so i i think i went like way far afield somewhere no in there, I, but, uh, that's something i would have never known and like I'm telling you, the legitimacy that that gives to it, that like your systematic change is trying to do, that speaks volumes to me personally. Absolutely. And I can tell you as somebody, you know, give me an inch and I will literally take a mile. Sure. I can totally see how that industry, I don't know if capitalizing is right word, because I feel like there is just a vast amount of money out there and resources. And from what I can tell about you, the the difference between your organization and any number of organizations, and by the way, it's teamfoster.org, is that you do vet not only you know the the service providers, but you're going through the proper channels to make sure that that veteran gets what they need, not just a, a chihuahua in an orange working dog coat. Right. Or whatever it is, you yeah, know. Exactly. I mean, you're not doing anybody any favors no. by, you know, uh, by doing it half-assed or, or by trying to play the system, you know. Because like you, I'm the first person to say, you know, you give me an opportunity, I'm going to take it. I see an opening, I'm going to hop in there, and that's what's happening, you know. And, yeah. and so we, our goal, you know, over time is to, is to to eliminate that and make sure that everybody's playing by the same high-level appropriate standards. I think, uh, you know, we saw this in recovery. I mean, you, you see it in Florida. You saw it in Pennsylvania. There was all those recovery houses. Recovery houses, when they're done well, are exceptional. When they are, anyone has a recovery house because it's a huge money maker. Yeah. It, it's a drug cesspool. It, or it, it can be. It's you know the what difference I mean? between, you know, helping somebody, making an impact, or just collecting a paycheck. Sure. You know? Many, many parallels there. So it takes $25,000 to get a service dog in the hands of a veteran. What are some of the events that your organization does? How do you raise money? Can we go to the website and just run our credit card through? Like, t- talk to us about how that works. Yeah, so 
so working from the back to the front, yes, you can go to the website, use your credit card, and make a donation. Chris, I expect to see several. Um, there's no limit on your how many donations you can make today. <laughs> Um, he loves donations. Well, he loves many things in many quantities. Yes. So you just opened a whole DR for him. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and by the way, not that, you know, people should be doing this out of the kindness of their heart and it is the right thing to do. But correct me if I'm wrong, as a 501c3, any donation that you provide to Team Foster, by the way, it's teamfoster.org, O-R-G, is a tax-deductible donation, correct? Yeah, 100%. We are a 501c3. It certainly consult your tax professional about those implications. But yeah, uh, we're a charitable organization under the, with the IRS, and your donation should be tax-deductible. I love that. Um, you know, I love a good write-off. <laughs> don't we all? Um, so, and, you know, so that's sort of step one. So that's the easy way. You need to go to the website and make a donation. Um, but we really believe, and this is sort of, you know, circling back to Eric, you know, who's a, the inspiration for our organization, um, Eric was very much uh, super charismatic, the life of the party, just really good dude who really enjoyed pushing himself and seeing how much he could accomplish, see how hard he could go and bringing us along with him. You know, he didn't want to just do it out by him, do it out there because he to feed his own ego. He wanted to see how us, how we could achieve things. Um, so that's sort of like, you know, the other piece of what we do. So we put on fundraising events with the idea of bringing both our veteran and our civilian communities together behind a, a shared cause. So uh, we started as a cycling event, uh, the, what we call the Foster 100, which is a 100-mile cycling event uh, that starts right outside of Philadelphia, and we ride all the way down to Cape May. Awesome. Um, awesome day um, for any of the cycling uh, folks out there that are interested, you know, we do it a little bit differently. It's not one of these mass starts where everybody just sort of goes out and it's chaotic and it's crazy and you might as, you're just as likely to finish as you are to crash. Um, all the, everybody gets broken up into, we sort of bring the military aspect, gets broken up into a platoon of about 15 or 20 folks. They ride together for the entire event. So it brings that teamwork aspect awesome. into what is otherwise can be sort of a solo event. So that platoon, you know, if uh, somebody has a mechanical, then everybody stops. You know, everybody stops at the rest stops. Um, and then it's fully supported. So there's support vehicles and SAG vehicles to help you out with the mechanicals, pick you up if you're having a bad day. And then, of course, we blow it out at the end uh, with an after party, uh, food, drinks, all that fun stuff. So that's the Foster 100. Um, this year's in-person events, September 11th. And then we also do a week-long virtual event. So I know uh, we talked about before coming on the show, there's listeners from all over the world, right? Um, yes. I, think, I, I think in the last episode I heard you guys mention India. And Australia. Australia, yeah. Like, listen, We're in all the continents. They can all participate in the Foster 100 this year. So, mm. you know, go to head over to teamfoster.org and you can get in and participate in the virtual event. And everybody gets a jersey, by the way, bringing in that sort of military vibe. Um, so everybody's wearing the exact same thing on ride day, which is a, a, a kind of a cool sight to see. A little esprit de corps, if was, you will. Indeed, indeed, yeah. yeah. Um, so that's sort of that's uh, that's what we call sort of our signature event. That's where we started, um, and that is something we will always do. You know, it's never going to be a uh, you know I, I don't expect it's ever we're ever going to have five thousand people riding in the Foster One Hundred um, simply because of the way we do it. It's very intimate um, and it's it's very resource intensive, but it's a phenomenal day. The other big event that we put on uh, is a, sort of our premier fundraising event, and where I think we're going to be growing in the future is called Rough Ride. Mm. R-U-F-F ride. Ah. So a little bit different vibe. So also got a, a biking angle. So the, uh, the concept's super straightforward. Um, teams register, and then you're assigned a spin bike. Um, here in Philadelphia, our spin studio partner is BPM Fitness. For the first time, we're taking the event to Pittsburgh 
in September. Our uh, spin studio partner out there is Cycle Bar Robinson. And the idea is your team uh, is assigned to a bike. Then your job is your team then must keep that bike spinning for 24 consecutive hours. What? Um, Yeah, which that's everybody's initial reaction. Like, who the hell does anything for 24 hours? And we're talking about, yes, yes, that means somebody is going to be spinning on that bike at 3 o'clock in the morning. But it's not, a again, it's not you by yourself doing it. Though we did have one guy ride for 20 hours in 2020. Complete oh, wow. animal. It's, it, was he like a ranger or an operator? Or no, he was, he, I, sick, he was sick just like person. a random dude. He's a just a beast. Uh, <laughs> but, and just as a little bit of a side note, at, um, you know, the, the event is not just people spinning. Like there's music, uh, games, there's a live scoreboard where we track everybody's stats, uh, food, drinks, challenges, spin classes. We bring all the dogs out. But one of the things I, I, I sort of my own personal thing is I, I like the ride. Um, so at three o'clock in the morning, I put on the bad motherfucker challenge. Oh, I love it. And I challenge everybody on the bike to try to beat me over the course of 30 minutes. Um, and then one of the instructor comes out and like sort of leads everybody through it. This guy, who'd <laughs> been on the bike at this point by, I think, eight, nine hours or 12 hours, something ridiculous, beat me Jeez. at oh, 3 o'clock in the morning. And I had not, written, I had not written at all other than that. It was a... Uh, I, I was both, it was humbling, it was demoralizing, <laughs> and it was also just Friggin awesome. badass. Yeah. Like, just, what a stud. So, I yeah, think so my th- cousins and my brother participated in one of my events. You know who was, like, the best rider? Aunt Mary Beth. She's also the best baker. She totally is, but she's, like, the 50-year-old woman, all, like, the buff guys, like, they sucked. Like, they're like, oh, did my 45 minutes, you know? So, that'd be me. <laughs> um, no so one asked you to join. So that's <laughs> Ouch. but it is it is like a little bit of a tailgate, right? It's a little bit of a festival yes. type of atmosphere. So you can just come and like make snarky comments. Like that's also welcome. I was that's, just gonna say you make the signs. That's my signs, jam honey. right there. The Actually, signs. speaking of, so the September eleventh event, which is from Philly to Cape May, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong. Correct. The after party venue, is that something that people are welcome to, let's say if they're a forty year old middle aged uh smoker? Yeah, I, actually, well, it's funny. So it was at the Naval Air Station uh, Museum in Wildwood, which if you haven't been, or it's in Cape May, Naval Air, Air Station Wildwood Museum, I think is the proper title. Um, fantastic venue. All of these old planes from like, uh, World War II, Vietnam, modern day. But yeah, anybody can come, you know, right. throw us a couple bucks. We'll get you in and all your, all your food, everything you want to drink, um, which for us, you're saving us a lot of money, you too. Um, yeah. Exactly. (laughs) You'll make money off of us. And because, I mean, I think, Chris, don't get me, like, correct me if I'm wrong. Here it comes. You're thinking you wouldn't make it there on a bike. You're going to have to go by private vehicle. I don't think if we started, (laughs) you know, in Center City, I don't think I would make it over the first bridge. Definitely. But I am more than happy to help out the organization in any way I can. And me being the not so self-centered individual, I'm sure there are many people in my boat that are like, well, you know, I'm, I'm very passionate about this cause. But I smoke a pack a day. I'm not riding anything except my car <laughs> to Wildwood. I was afraid. I was worried where that was going. <laughs> absolutely come down. So listen, it's obviously, it's Cape May in September, right? So it's yes, gorgeous. Beautiful. It's perfect. Uh, but yeah, plenty of, it, because of the way we put that event on, there are, we need as many volunteers as we have riders. All right. So whether it's working that. a rest stop, whether it's selling some merch at the end, or setting stuff up, taking tickets, you know, there's all, all of those little pieces that, you know, we need our volunteer army 
to set up, show up, and, and do the job. Yeah, we'd love to see you guys down there. I, is that something if somebody was interested in either signing up for the event, participating in the event, or being a volunteer in some aspect, is that all done through the teamfoster.org yeah. website? Yeah, you just hop right on the page of the event section. It's got all the events that we put on, that we either put on or are a part of throughout the year. You just go to the Foster 100, slide up and say, hey, I want to volunteer. That's awesome. What if, um, uh, like, private fundraising events want to donate to you? Do you partner with them or, you know, taking bigger donations, things like that? Yeah, absolutely. We, so we have sponsorships for, you know, any of the events or for the organization as a whole. One of the really unique things that we do, obviously, and then if somebody wants to put on, you know, a smaller event, you know, whether it's uh, just paint, painting yeah. or something or do, doing an event, we're always open to that. The other thing that we do, I think that's a little bit unique, is we actually offer the opportunity for athletes that are taking on something unique or something challenging that want to raise money for us. We can actually give them that platform. That's awesome. uh, We have folks that are doing Ironman. We have people that are doing ultra races. But even if you're just doing a 5K, you can come say, hey, Team Foster, I'm running this 5K. I'd like to raise some money for you. And I go, no problem. I'm going to build you your fundraising platform. I'm going to give you a registration page. I'm going to give you a place to talk about what you're doing and sharing it. And then we'll collect all the money. We'll take all of the back end, all of the structure. You don't have to worry about it other than sharing a link. Um, so it yeah. makes it super easy. I love that. Um, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I've got a, I, I don't, I've got a brand that I want to name it, but I got to talk to our marketing team. Got to, you know, get it signed off on. But it's, um, but yeah, we had, um, I don't know. Do you guys know who David Goggins is? So, yes, I actually oh, listened yeah. to his audio book in Let's Talk About One Sick, Sick yeah. Man, who faced quite literally every bit of adversity a human being can face yeah. from birth to current day. Yeah. If you've not read his book, help me out with the name, Nick. Uh, can't. It's a can't beat me. Can't. Yeah, I have it actually on our audio book. I, I actually listened to it last year as well. Phenomenal. Just a riveting read. Um, he's got a huge following. He yes. did a um, a challenge uh, this spring. He called it the four by four by forty eight. So basically, he challenged people like, listen, you need to get up, run four miles every four hours for forty eight consecutive hours. Part of me, you hear it and you're like, wait, that doesn't sound that bad. And then you realize how many miles you're putting on. Then you realize you're running at midnight and four a.m. at eight a.m. at midnight. Like, it's pretty wow. intense. Um, Can't hurt me. Can't hurt me. There we go. Can't hurt me. Yeah, great, great read. Um, and David Goggins, if you want to throw me some royalties, no problem for a plug in your book. Yeah. Um, ding, ding, ding. <laughs> but so really cool was that people did that and said, hey, you know, and one of the things he, that I thought was really neat by Goggins, he said, listen, do this. I, I'm going to challenge you all to do this. But then I'm also going to challenge you to pick a veterans organization or a veterans service organization and raise money for that organization. So we, we were very lucky. People came to us and said, hey, Team Foster. I'm going to do the four by four by 48. And I want to raise money for you. And the nice thing is that we don't have to tell you, hey, oh, well, just go to GoFundMe and build out your own page and do all the BS that goes along with that. We will literally build your page for That's you. That's awesome. Hand you a link. And then you just change the profile picture, whatever you want it to be, and talk about whatever monster task, whatever really cool thing that you're doing. And you get to raise money for the organization in the process. That's awesome. I love that. That's, That's actually a genius fundraising idea. Or so, I mean, if, for instance, if you wanted to challenge yourself to smoke six packs of cigarettes tomorrow and raise money, Chris, you could do that. You speak, he could do it. Send me the link. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over that. Again, like I, I will help the organization in any way that we can. Just not athletically. Just not with any sort of physical activity. <laughs> if you want me to come to Wildwood and run my mouth, I'm more than happy to do that. You I can do 100 be, miles, uh, no problem. Professional shit talker. 
I will not pedal anywhere. <laughs> so I'm, I'm actually really glad we discussed that. Listen, self-knowledge is, is a key part to anybody's like, totally. per, uh, personal growth. So I can, kudos, man. Kudos. I, just, I know my limits. You know? <laughs> That's it. I truly do. What else? Is, there has to be something like, you know, that you feel we need to touch on. I think at least, you know, selfishly in terms of the organization, the big piece is is Pittsburgh right now. So this is the first time we're moving out of market. Um, the first time we're moving to while we have some deep emotional roots to Pittsburgh, you know, it's not our our organization's personal network is there. So trying to get folks involved with our rough ride event in Pittsburgh is like sort of the major push right now. That and the virtual Foster 100, if anybody wants to do that. We're really excited because the Pitt Rough Ride event, it's got the university is sponsoring the event, UPMC is sponsoring the event, Chartwells is sponsoring the event. We've got some really great uh, support organizationally, but what now we need is people to actually sign up, get their asses in seats and, and take this challenge on, which one of the cool things we've seen here in Philly is like is unique and sort of like weird. It, it sounds to say, hey, I'm going to be spinning at, you know, potentially spinning at midnight or one o'clock or four o'clock in the morning. Like that's weird. What we have seen is that every team that signs up always comes back. Yeah. So we, uh, this last year in Philly, um, obviously the pandemic's made everything super yeah. wonky, but we opened up a, a discounted uh, registration period um, because we broke our fundraising record for the event. 75% of the teams have already signed up for next That's year, awesome. even though we don't even have a date. That's really cool. Um, all we, we said, hey, we think we're going to have it in May 22, and 75% of teams are like, yep, and sign me up, um, which feels really good. And I think just speaks to like, the atmosphere of the event, how cool it is, because um, it really is. It's as much. It's like, it's like Coachella and swim and spinning. Yeah, you know, you're, like it's, you're hanging out, you're having a good time, you're listening to music. Um, you know, people are bringing out coolers, having you know, really getting after it. You know, we have weird games and uh, Pittsburgh. We're probably gonna have some live music. We're gonna have a radio mm. station broadcasting from the event. Like, it's got a whole lot going on. Um, oh, by the way, it's also homecoming weekend at Pitt. Oh, I, I already have oh, a team boy. for you. I mean, I'm not in it, but I have like a really good friend that goes back all the time, went to University of Pittsburgh, would look for any excuse to go there. And she does have spinning ability. She even has one of those fancy ass bikes. The beauty of Rough Ride is that you can get on that bike and you can spin for five minutes. It's awesome. And just hang out and like be part of the vibe and be part of that 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 festival atmosphere. Or you can ride for hours and you can be a beast and you can really, you can kill yourself and see how hard you can really go. And you can, you can get up at three o'clock in the morning and do the bad mofo challenge and, and try not to puke. Or, you That's know, awesome. or you can be a little bit more low key about it and like ride at 10 o'clock at night and then take a nap. And, or you can stay for the whole event, which a lot of people do once they feel it. Or, you know, you come up, you show up for an hour. We, we've had some folks uh, that show up and, you know, make sure they get their picture on the bike and then they bounce. Okay. Yeah. Like, okay. You know, yeah. Hey, that's between you and your team. You, you. Like, yep. you know, yeah. Um, so yeah. So I think, you know, in terms of like stuff that's coming up, that's the big push. Um, and there's also merchandise available online. So yeah. again, if you are just wanting to support the organization and maybe you live in Nebraska or something like that, uh, you can go to teamfoster.org. You've shown up with uh, a couple of hats here. There's some t-shirts, there's hoodies, I would imagine. Yeah, we got we have a, a great partner. Just a quick plug to our, our buddy Nick Franz at Frag Out Clothing, um, which actually he's not too far from you guys right here. Um, it's veteran-owned clothing apparel place. Uh -huh. He does all of our merchandise, um, which we then sell on our website. Um, That's awesome. So kudos to him. He's just a fantastic dude. Um, and we got some, yeah, we have some great swag, some great uh, stuff. And then, of course, if you want to follow us on social, um, all of our handles are the same. So Twitter, 
LinkedIn, Facebook, Insta, it's all at We Are Team Foster. Um, so super easy to find us at We Are Team Foster across all of our social channels as well. Absolutely amazing. That's great. Yeah, we are. Again, like super happy that you came out here. Um, I really hope that we can drive some traffic your way. It's teamfoster.org. You know what I think? One of the big things, uh, Nick, that you said that, you know, kind of tied it back into what we're doing here is just sharing your own struggles, being honest. And that's why we sit behind these microphones once a week. So um, I'm glad that we got to bring that to, you know, a whole nother group. And you know what? It kind of makes sense now why so many veterans reach out to us, even though we're not. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. I I think it's just, you know, people helping people, but on, you know, just an exceptional level with the work that your organization does and the fact that you provide these service dogs to folks. And, you know, you are filling a need, not only responsibly, but ethically. And, And I feel like almost sort of a moral responsibility in a sense as well, right? Well, I mean, I, I, I can tell you that I, it's certainly a moral responsibility for yeah. me. You know, I, Eric, uh, changed my life. He, you know, I'm a, the, I'm quite literally the person I am today. Whatever, whatever value I have brought in this world is in large part due and because of him and because of the type of person he is. And I've been also been very lucky, right? I've never been shot at. I don't have PTSD. I've got, I am fully functional. Like I'm happy, healthy, have everything going for me, and I would be, I feel obligated, you know, to take mm-hmm. care of my brothers and sisters that haven't been so fortunate. Um, and I think, I think we as citizens all have an obligation to do what we can where we can. And this is, you know, this is our our hack at it. Um, but I'm also super grateful for you guys. You know, you, one, you've obviously given us a platform. You've given me a platform to talk about Team Foster, talk about Eric, talk about our veterans, talk about the value of these service dogs. But I've listened to your show and, and the candor uh, that you both have about your lives and your experiences and sharing that in such a public forum, I think, gives a lot of people the strength and the ability and the comfort to do the same. You know, and everybody's had their own battles, everybody's had their own challenges. But when someone else is vulnerable and open, it makes it so much easier for other folks to, to recognize a kindred spirit or recognize that struggle. And it makes it easier to then turn around and take care of their own and talk about their own. So um, I'm sure you guys have touched people. I know I love listening to the podcast. Um, so thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. I, again, you know, we're, we are where we are because we took that initial step and said, you know what? I need help. I got to put my hand up. I got to reach out. And that's why, you know, I do the whole like Bob Barker thing at the end of the show with the, you know, <laughs> the pets. Make sure you spay and pet, neuter your pets. But like, honest to God, people, you, you have to put your hand up. You have to ask for help. It makes all the difference. There is no stigma. There's no shame in reaching out and asking for help. It's just you got to take that first step, you know? And I think for us, you know, the rooms of AA, um, hearing other stories, is why it works for us yes. um, because people think like we think and your veterans a lot of them think the way the other veterans think so just the team atmosphere that you're bringing them together you know is huge I mean that support they can offer each other support like no other person can absolutely you know because they have the same lived experiences all right I'm Chris I'm an alcoholic if you're struggling in 
any way, please put your hand up, reach out for help, and please help control the pet population. Have your pets spayed <laughs> or neutered. And I'm Megan, and I'm an alcoholic. And thanks, Nick, for coming on. Uh, I'm Nick. I'm the founder of Team Foster. Reach out. We're here. We've got your six. Uh, don't drink and drive. Don't beat your spouses. Don't beat your pets. Stay safe. Call me first. So I Married an Alcoholic is sponsored by RealtorAndABaby.com. Are you looking to buy, sell, or lease real estate? Even if you're not in greater Philadelphia, reach out with your contact information so you can be connected with the most qualified realtor in your area. RealtorAndABaby at gmail.com.